Welcome to Barely Audible Whisper, a weekly NPR parody podcast in no way associated with NPR, brought to you in no part by the following parody sponsors. The Senator Kamala Harris Leadership Initiative, showing the leadership to drop out of a presidential campaign she had no chance of winning because real leadership leads the way out of a leadership contest for the leaders who will never hold the lead. Spiritual guru Marianne Williamson's presidential campaign, somehow lasting longer than the campaigns of three governors, three members of the House of Representatives, and two senators, proving that 0.08% of Democrats aren't taking this seriously. And Joe Biden, still the favorite candidate of Democrats who aren't really paying attention. I am Dave. And I am Molly. And our voices lack in volume what Michael Bloomberg's campaign lacks in a reason for existing. Our top story this week... Impeachment hearings began in the House Judiciary Committee this week following the release of the House Intelligence Committee's report on impeachment. The hearing began with Democratic chairman and cartoonishly whiny Woody Allen as stereotype of a New York Jewish intellectual, Jerry Nadler, trying to open the proceedings despite being repeatedly interrupted by Republicans who seemed to be deploying a debate strategy lifted from the Lord of the Flies. This hearing is called... Point of parliamentary procedure. Your point will be tabled. Point of parliamentary inquiry. I'm talking. Your inquiry will be considered... Point of parliamentary use of the word parliament. Now you're just making things... Point of parliament funkadelic. But I have the call. Point of par four golf courses. I have the call. Eventually, Nadler whined his way through the opening statement which was followed by the screaming homespun southern gibberish of ranking Republican and non-ironic boss hog impersonator Doug Collins. Y'all, we done got all dressed up in our church clothes for this here impeachment bar dance, but this here hoedown ain't no square dance. It's flim-flam when ain't got no flapjacks and the fiddle player done lost his bow. Buttered biscuits and gravy and banjo linen skin on Dang old man, there's no flair but dig and squeeze! You hear? Yeah, man, mama said I didn't want him. Frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn bumpkin, bumpkin, Robin and Lee. Cousins making friggin' dragon, friggin'. Look away, look away, look away, Dixieland. Thankfully, the opening statements of a politically incorrect Jew in a redneck joke came to an end, and the testimony of the four constitutional scholars began. The guy from the University of North Carolina was too boring to mention, so we'll skip ahead to Harvard Law Professor and man whose hair is so severely combed in one direction it looks like it's trying to escape, Noah Feldman. Professor Feldman's testimony was notable because he opposed impeachment until the White House transcribed notes of President Trump's now infamous July phone call caused his mind, like his hair, to drastically change directions. In the initial aftermath of the Mueller report, I was skeptical of the idea of impeachment, and my hair was reasonably centered on my head. Uh, However, the notes of the call released by the White House show a direct quid pro quo. Furthermore, the evidence that has been revealed throughout this investigation is so one-sided that my opinion, like my haircut, cannot help but drastically lean in one direction. Meanwhile, Stanford professor Pamela Carlin stood out for her apt analogies. Imagine that you live in Louisiana and there's a hurricane, and the president says that the only way he'll give your state disaster relief is if your governor publicly calls Joe Biden a criminal. 
Now imagine that you live in Kansas and there's a tornado. So you end up in Oz, and the only way to get back home is that you have your wish granted by the president. And the president says the only way that he'll grant your wish is if you steal Joe Biden's broom and investigate the discredited theory that it was actually Ukraine and not your house that killed the Wicked Witch of the East. Now imagine you live a long, long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. Some of our analogies were odd, but not as odd as the testimony of George Washington law professor Jonathan Tooley. The odd thing about Professor Tooley's testimony is that even though he was called as a witness by Republicans to argue against impeachment, he didn't actually argue against impeachment. Instead, he argued that the process needs to be slowed down to allow for more careful consideration of more evidence and more testimony from more witnesses. And Professor Tooley made his point with an odd analogy of his own. Impeachment shouldn't be an impulse buy. An analogy he must think is better than it actually is, because he continuously belabored his point until it became more forced than the wave in Professor Feldman's hair. Impeachment shouldn't be an impulse buy. Impeachment isn't a candy bar that a kid wants you to buy him at the grocery store, and then he throws a tantrum, and everybody's staring at you, and even though you know it sets a bad precedent, you buy him the damn candy bar anyway because you just want the whiny little shit to shut the hell up. The point is, impeachment shouldn't be an impulse buy and use a condom. Oddly, the button-down conservative professor's what's-the-big-hurry argument had an almost hippy-dippy quality to it. Take your time and let the evidence flow through your chakra like a peaceful river of constitutional precedent. Breathe in the evidence. Breathe out the jurisprudence. Evidence. Jurisprudence. As the depositions fill your soul, chant your mantra. Quid pro quo. Quid pro quo. And so, just like in the Intelligence Committee, Democrats and Republicans basically conducted two different versions of the same hearing, with Democrats trying to repackage the already well-established facts of their already well-established case. Now imagine you have a chicken, a fox, and a bag of grain. You have a raft, but you can only hold one thing at a time. You need to cross the river, but President Trump steals your raft and won't give it back to you unless you accuse Joe Biden of stealing the raft that President Trump stole. And Republicans doing whatever the hell this is. Flickin' flaggin' jabberty jibberty them Duke boys are at it again! baseless Facebook rumor about a sudden rash of white vans being used by human traffickers to kidnap people in broad daylight, which was propelled by Facebook's algorithms into going viral, sparked a nationwide panic. The scare was further amplified when Baltimore's mayor, Bernard Young, warned his constituents not to park next to white vans in a televised interview. The mayor later admitted that his sole source of information was that the white van rumor was, quote, all over Facebook. Yes, I amplified a citywide panic by repeating a social media rumor about an incredibly common type of vehicle without bothering to verify any of the information. Yes, I'm the mayor of a major city. Yes, these are dark and irrational times. 
Facebook tried to calm the panic by releasing a statement saying that their third-party fact-check company finally got around to flagging the white van posts as false. Which is like reassuring your friend that you checked to make sure the safety on your gun is on while visiting him in the hospital after you shot him. Barely Audible Whisper reached out to Facebook CEO and sociopathic AI robot Mark Zuckerberg in a futile effort to try and get him to take some semblance of responsibility for the havoc that his company is wreaking on humanity. Hello, fellow human beings. I am human being Mark Zuckerberg, and like all human beings, I only blink when I concentrate on blinking. Blink. Mr. Zuckerberg, the Facebook algorithms once again spread false information to thousands of people, causing a nationwide panic over absolutely nothing. As a human being, I feel the human being feeling of empathy. It's pronounced empathy? Yes, fellow human being, you are correct. As a fellow human being, I feel the human being feeling of empty thing. Empathy. Empathy. Empathy? Empire Strikes Back. It doesn't matter. You don't have any. I don't need any. I fell ass backwards into a billion dollar company when an idea I stole and a sexist female body rating contest I posted collided with a massive cultural shift. I cannot be held responsible for Facebook because I'm not really responsible for Facebook. But you make billions of dollars off of Facebook. I deserve it. After all, I'm responsible for Facebook. But you take no responsibility. Blink. For the white van scare that was exponentially amplified by your algorithms. No, fellow human being, I do not. But I do fake, I mean feel, onomatopoeia. Empathy. For the fellow human beings who feel the human being feeling of feeling bad feelings. Just listen to the trauma your reckless white van scare caused this poor father of three. Guess that settles it. I'm not cool anymore. I'm just a dad now. Just a dad stopping off at the grocery store to buy diapers in his new white room for the whole family van. It's not that bad. I can still be cool and drive a white van, right? Ah! It's the man driving the white van! Run away! Run away! Avoid the man with the white van at all costs! Wow. I'm even less cool than I was afraid of. Don't look at the man who drives the white van, kids. Whatever you do, do not make eye contact with the man who drives the white van. Just ignore him. Pretend he's not there. My wife and I just had our third kid. It's just a more practical choice. I took a picture and posted it on Facebook. Now everyone will avoid the man in the white van. My God, I'm so not cool anymore. People are posting about it. They must think I'm such a loser for driving a white van that I don't even use social media. Oh, no. I just got a Facebook post warning that there's a man driving a white van in this very parking lot. There he is! It's him! It's him! It's the guy who drives the white van! I'm getting the hell out of here! It's okay, everybody. I use Facebook, too. I'm still cool. I'm just a dad. Look, see? Oh, no. I just got a Facebook alert about a man with a white van. I'm so not cool, Facebook is warning me to avoid myself. What do you have to say for yourself? Blink. (laughs) 
The House Judiciary Committee released a 300-page impeachment report detailing President Trump's Ukrainian bribery scheme. The report summarizes the testimony of multiple witnesses and explains how these specific pieces of evidence against the president fit together to prove his guilt. However, Democrats apparently, having learned their lesson from the 400-plus page Mueller report, which no one read, included easier to read and significantly shorter summations in their report as well. For example, the report includes a 22-page executive summary which spells out the basic case against Trump in the first four sentences. And if 22 pages summarized in four sentences is too much reading for you, the report also contains a four-page preface summarized in two sentences by committee chairman Adam Schiff. They even managed to reduce all of the evidence into a two-and-a-half-page key findings of fact section, which organizes the evidence using nine Roman numerals. Barely out of a whisper obtain audio of Chairman Schiff dumbing down the report with his staff. The evidence against the president is overwhelming, but if we learned anything from the Mueller report, it's that 300 pages is too long. I like what you did with the 22-page summary. I wrote a 22-page summary which lays out the case in the first four sentences. I don't know 22 pages. The four-sentence summation is a good start, but... Some of those sentences have semicolons. What was I thinking? Lazy people hate semicolons. I wrote a four-page preface which explains why what the president did was wrong in two sentences, but even though those sentences don't contain semicolons... Thank God. Both of the sentences contain multiple commas. Multiple commas? We're screwed! He took multiple steps to commit multiple crimes. There was no way to convey that without multiple commas. Do you realize that the sentence you just spoke contained multiple commas and a semicolon? We're never going to be able to dumb this down enough. Wait a minute, semicolon. I've got an idea! What are you doing? I'm drawing evidence in pictures. Here's a picture of a bag of money with an arrow pointing to Ukraine. And a picture of President Trump grabbing the money. And the picture of Trump says, You don't get any money unless you investigate Joe Biden. Then there's a picture of Trump getting caught and he releases the money into the air when he puts his hands up. That's no good. People still have to read words to understand the You don't get the money unless you investigate Joe Biden part. What if I express that part with emojis? I don't know what that means. I'm old. We can use a circle with a line through it for no, a dollar sign for money, a detective with a magnifying glass for investigate, and there's no good emoji for Biden, so we'll just go with the scare quotes, okay, boomer. That sounds really stupid. It's perfect. There's just one problem. Does this have to do with the eggplant and the peach? Because I tried to use emojis once to demonstrate how hip I was to some 4-H club kids. I texted them a pro-agriculture message with an eggplant and a peach, and for some reason I was issued a restraining order. The problem is evidence. The evidence is overwhelming. You just don't get it, semicolon, do you? People are equal parts cynical, whiny, and lazy. They're going to complain about the lack of evidence without bothering to read the evidence. We already dumbed down the evidence to two and a half pages and nine Roman numerals. Do we need eggplants and peaches for that, too? Emojis won't work for analyzing evidence. We need a dumbed-down version of analytical thinking, semicolon. We need memes! Georgia Governor Brian Kemp was tasked with replacing Senator Johnny Isaacson, who is retiring at the end of the year. Kemp has faced a lot of pressure from his own party to choose Congressman Doug Collins. 
Collins has been in the public eye lately as part of the Judiciary Committee holding impeachment hearings. You may recognize him as the oldish white guy who rants about nothing instead of questioning witnesses. That could be any of the Republicans. He's the oldish white guy who rants about nothing instead of questioning witnesses who sounds like he's from Georgia. Got it. Kemp has gone against his party's pressure and instead chosen a businesswoman with no legislative experience, Kelly Loeffler, to be the next senator. Why do Republicans feel so strongly? And could this impact Brian Kemp in the next election? We'll find out in our new segment, So You Say You Wanna Say. First up is Representative Matt Goetz of Florida, who is developing a reputation as Congress's top bully. Congressman Getz, you say you want to say. Hell yeah, I do. We tried to warn Kemp. Trump told him how to be supportive. Kemp thinks he knows better than Trump. Nobody knows better than Trump. As a member of the party who supposedly favors state government over federal government, I think the governor needs to just do whatever the president says. Whatever, Kemp. Your funeral. Let's see if you can win a primary without Trump's support. Now give me your lunch money. We're a podcast with only fake sponsors. We don't have any money. You can have this bag of Melania farts. It's cotton candy. Next up is conservative talk show host Mark Levine, who calls Kemp's nominee Loeffler a rhino, or Republican in name only. Mr. Levine, so you say you want to say. I'm a talk show host. I always want to say. Kemp is clearly just another Romney, and his pick is a rhino. What does rhino mean to you? Anyone who claims to be a Republican, yet is capable of independent thought and willing to stand up to a president. Loeffler claims to be a lifelong Republican, is a wealthy CEO, and a frequent donor to Republican candidates. Wouldn't it be more accurate to call her a Rhine-d-d-of-who? Republican in name, demographic, donations, and voting history only? None of that matters if she ever goes against Trump on any single thing. Great. Before we bring up our next critic of Kemp's nomination, we do want to point out a potential legitimate criticism of Kelly Loeffler. She has no political experience, and she actually said this. My political experience amounts to running against my best friend for student council president when we were in the eighth grade. It was all about the campaign posters and how many of the kids you could talk to at lunch break. So if our next guest wants to speak rationally, Preferring a 12-year member of Congress over an inexperienced political outsider is a good place to start. But instead, Debbie Dooley, co-founder of the Atlanta Tea Party, will say some nonsense. Debbie Dooley, so you say you want to say. I think Kemp is trying to appeal to suburban women in the metro area, and he is willing to turn his back on the rural areas that actually put him over the top. Yes, appealing to the voting bloc that Republicans are rapidly losing is political suicide. That was sarcasm. Loeffler grew up on a farm, opposes gun control, and supports strong measures against illegal immigrants. Why wouldn't rural voters like her? They just don't trust her. You know she has ties to Stacey Abrams. And what exactly are those ties? Well, she's a co-owner of the WNBA team, the Atlanta Dream. Stacey Abrams once did legal work for that team. I feel like it would be a waste of breath to explain what a stretch that is, when we all know that the real reason rural voters wouldn't like Loeffler is because she has a vagina. We have one more person who feels like they deserve a say in Georgia's next senator, Georgia resident Savannah Peachtree. Ms. Peachtree, so you want to say. 
Yeah, can one of y'all explain to me why, as a voter, I didn't have a say? You will next November in an open election, but constitutionally, the governor gets to name the replacement. No, I get that, but why didn't I get a say in the governor? You didn't vote last November? I tried to. I went to the only early voting place in my county seven times. But each time, the line was so long that I had to go back to work. But then Kemp closed my nearest polling place for election day. When I got to the polls on election day, apparently my name had been purged from the voter rolls. I had to re-register online, but apparently it didn't go through. I went home to sort it out, but by the time I came back, the polls were closed. What? You didn't think we would do a story about Brian Kemp without reminding you that he screwed over voters to become governor, did you? This has been So You Say You Wanna Say. According to phone records, shifty-eyed Congressman Devin Nunez, the ranking Republican on the House Intelligence Committee, who is currently suing the parody Twitter account of a fake cow for defamation, had multiple three-way phone conversations with President Trump's criminal, criminal attorney, Rudy Giuliani, and Giuliani's indicted associate, Lev Parnas, who manages to personify the stereotype of Ukrainian mob thug, despite the fact that there is no stereotype for a Ukrainian mob thug. Congressman Nunez presided as the ranking Republican over the House Intelligence Committee impeachment hearings without revealing his involvement in these calls, despite the fact that the existence of the calls suggests that Nunez may have been directly involved in the very Ukrainian dirty trick scheme that his committee was investigating. A desire to conceal his connection to Giuliani and Parnas may help explain the bizarre manner in which Nunez conducted himself in the hearings. Nobody should pay any attention to anything that happens here. And I wouldn't just make that up. The Democrats are the ones that are making stuff up. It's like the Constitution says, the two things that you can't trust are Democrats and phone records. According to the statement made by Lev Parnas, through his attorney, Nunez was actively involved in the Ukrainian scheme to produce dirt on Joe Biden. Oh, and guys named Lev. You can't trust them either. You can't trust Democrats, phone records, or legal documents produced by guys named Lev. It says so in the Constitution. You can trust me because my eyes shift in 15 different directions at once. Responsible journalists have been careful not to implicate Devin Nunez in a scheme based on the word of Ukrainian mob stereotype Lev Parnas because he has the credibility of a Ukrainian mob stereotype. However, Barely Audible Whisper needs more listeners. And if we've learned anything from the massive increase in popularity that the Twitter account Devin Nunez Cow got after being sued by Devin Nunez, is that the best way to get more listeners is to be sued by Devin Nunez. And so, as part of our ongoing attempt to get sued by Devin Nunez for defamation by defaming Devin Nunez, Barely Audible Whisper will once again defame Devin Nunez by making up the audio content of the three-way phone call between Giuliani, Parnas, and Devin Nunez. But unlike our previous defamations of Devin Nunez, this time there's actually a good chance we're actually right. Damn it! It's hard to press the answer button on your phone when your eyes shift in 15 different directions at once. Who need you to launder $100,000 to pay for the scheme I would hate for a journalist to find out about because I accidentally butt-dialed the journalist while I was talking to you about a scheme? Rudy is Lev! Take phone out of big pocket! He told you you'd screen lock.
Ah, damn it! I made another call again! Hey, Lev. Hey, Rudy. It's Devin. Uh, I can't talk long. I've got a ton of frivolous lawsuits to file. Attaboy, Nunez! Suppressing dissent by abusing your authority to silence your critics is the cornerstone of a healthy democracy! Rudy, you make butt dial again! I never butt dialed you guys! Then what did you want to talk about? Of course I butt dialed you guys! You can't keep butt dialing me like this. If I spend an entire week on national television derailing my committee's investigation into your bribery scheme, and then a bunch of phone records link me to your bribery scheme, that would look bad in all 15 directions at once. Don't worry about it! If you get caught doing something stupid and crazy, just do what I do! Say something even stupider and crazier! It's a trick I learned by watching President Trump do the only thing he's good at! I usually just sue stuff. This good trick, but I have trick of my own. If I get caught committing crime, I squeal like pig. Sell out bigger fish on higher chain of food. Squeal like a pig? Are you sure we can trust this guy, Rudy? He doesn't seem trustworthy to me, and I say that as someone whose eyes shift in 15 directions at once. He's a Ukrainian mob stereotype! If you can't trust the Ukrainian mob stereotype, who can you trust? I have no idea. I banked my political career on Donald Trump, and my eyes shift in 15 different directions at once. I'm not good at trust. You can trust me! That's good to know. Of course you can't trust me! They trust squealing like pig leads to reduced sentence. I'm glad I got involved in this impeachable bribery scheme with you guys. This is the best idea I've had since suing the parody Twitter account of a fake cow. A group of researchers from the University of California, Berkeley... Princeton and the University of California at San Diego have completed a five-year, $10 million study detailing the effects of randomly giving $1,000 to extremely poor families in extremely impoverished communities in rural Kenya. The result not only confirmed the findings of previous studies, which have conclusively demonstrated that a considerable cash infusion can transform the lives of those who receive them in lasting ways. The new study indicates that the money poor families in an impoverished community receive greatly benefit the community as a whole. While the basic economic reality, that giving poor families money to spend on poor businesses in poor communities will naturally improve the economies of those communities may seem obvious, the idea is controversial because it is counterintuitive to rich douches. If we simply give poor people money, they'll lose their incentive to earn it. Why, I'm repulsed by the very idea that people think they should just be given the money my great-grandfather worked so hard for me to inherit. We invited one such rich douche to join us in studio. We didn't as much invite him as he felt entitled to show up. Either way, he's here. And he brought his very own Charles Dixon's novel-esque poor urchant peasant who appears to be a servant. Hello! I'm regular-sized Tim! The problem is that poor people, when given money, spend that money on frivolous expenditures. Me noble lord pays me to crouch before him like a human footrest. Help yourselves to the $700 bottle of scotch and two $1,000 tins of caviar I brought for us to nosh on, while we harshly judge the wasteful spending habits of the impoverished. Oh, lucky day! It seems me noble lord has dropped a wee crumb! that a poor starving peasant such as myself might nourish me empty stomach. Hold still. I don't pay you nearly half the minimum wage to degrade yourself in my comfort just so you can scurry off and feed yourself. 
As a journalist, I must point out the inherent contradictions in spending $700 on one bottle of scotch while decrying the so-called wasteful spending. I'll give you a thousand bucks not to. On the other hand, you make an interesting point. But the evidence clearly demonstrates that poor people make prudent use of money they receive and are in most cases able to pull themselves out of poverty. Evidence is overrated. Sell out. It's called balanced coverage. Mm -hmm. We didn't invest millions of dollars in conservative media campaigns to create a stereotype of poor people just to have that well-spent money overturned by evidence. I know what I'd do with some extra money. I'd buy elf insurance so that I could afford to pay for my dying wife's prescription drugs. My point exactly. He'd piss it away on drugs. He's talking about life-saving medicine. Uh, but to be balanced, he did use the word drugs. What I wouldn't give to see my wife healthy again. To see her smile and enjoy life the way she used to. To hold her hand and take her dancing and make tender love. Sex, sex, sex. Give the poor money and they'll waste it on drugs to facilitate sex. Literally dozens of studies have demonstrated that giving money to poor people shows no direct or indirect correlation to the rise of illicit sex and drug use. Uh, to be balanced, it's still a big gamble. And gambling. Sex, drugs, and gambling. It's tragic how poor people waste money. Now, what do you say we call up some hookers, snort a bunch of blow, and shoot craps on regular-sized Tim's arched back? Oh, lucky day! It's ever so much less painful to have you shoot dice on me back for your gambling merriment than it is to be saddled and whipped like a racehorse in your usual peasant races. These podcasters are barely middle class. They can't afford racing peasants. Every one of your assumptions about increasing the income of the impoverished has been proven false. But what about inflation? If you increase the income levels of the poorest people, it will cause inflation. To be balanced, I can tell you that the cost increases associated with inflation will actually have a net negative effect because most people don't understand enough about inflation to argue against that point. Better to let the money trickle down from the top. Speaking of which, I have to piss. Oh, the uh, bathroom is done. Nonsense! I'm not going to sully myself on your lower middle class toilet. My footrest peasant doubles as a urinal. Oh, lucky day! The nutrients trickle directly down me throat. Fills me poor starving belly at least once a day. It's like a three-course meal when he's been drinking. But that's what makes this new study so groundbreaking. The study didn't just measure the effect of increased income on people who received money. It studied the effect of giving extra money to randomly selected people on the community as a whole. The majority of increased income was spent within the local community, enriching local businesses who in turn spent their profits in the community, etc. Inflation increased by less than 1% while the money generated a net economic return of more than double the amount of money injected into the economy. Every $100 given generated between $250 and $270 within the overall economy. That sounds like a better system.
Thank you for listening to Barely Audible Whisper, made possible by the following people, writer, co-host, and producer, Dave Baldwin, co-host and actress, Molly Brown, and actor and writer, Daniel Carter-Brown. If you happen to live in the Atlanta area, please check out Daniel Carter-Brown's much cleaner and family-friendlier performance in It's a Wonderful Life, playing George Bailey at Onstage Atlanta uh, from now until Christmas. Uh, Please follow us on your social medias and subscribe to us wherever you subscribe to your podcast. And we also wish our beloved actress Corey Burns a swift and speedy recovery. Uh, Hopefully she'll be back with us soon. We appreciate your support. (laughs) Humorous!